Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Good morning, Crosswalk. It's great to see all of you. My name is Jeff Gunn. I'm pastor here at Crosswalk, and we're going to dig into Revelation chapter 5 this morning. So reach inside your program and pull out this white half sheet. I'm going to be asking you guys to work a little harder than you might normally today because this is an interesting section of Scripture. It's a, it's a, a prophecy that Jesus gives to the Apostle John to predict what's going to happen as God writes the last chapter of human history. And uh, we're now into that part of the book of Revelation where the vision really kind of gets sort of fantastic. It's, it's one of those places where people who have read Revelation before have gone, wow, this is kind of tough stuff. It's a place where you might read it and go, huh? And so we're going to, I'm going to ask you to work with me on this. I'm going to try to guide you through what this, um, this prophecy is pointing out in, uh, in Revelation chapter 5. And it, at the bottom line, it's a hugely important message for us to hear at Christmas time and, and a comforting message for us to hear. Before I read it, what I want to do for the sake of clarity, is just sort of set it up where we've been. This is the last week in this series called Prophecy. And this morning we're going to see how all of prophecy, both history points to Christ and the future flows from him. And he's the point from which all of our futures flow. And so that's why focusing on Christ in, in prophecy is so important. If you were here in the first couple of weeks of this series, you heard us talk about Revelation chapter 1 and, and about how Jesus introduces this, this prophecy, this book of Revelation, through the Apostle John. And the Apostle John is the pastor of seven congregations in a Roman province named Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. And these seven congregations are going through times of struggle and hardship. They're under persecution because of their faith in Christ. In fact, John, the apostle himself, is imprisoned on a prison island called Patmos for the sake of Christ because he's been preaching and teaching the gospel to these congregations in Asia Minor. And the emperor, as we learned, is all out to get people to be worshiping him. Because as emperor, the, the added element of getting people to consider him to be God and to worship him allows him to have more control over the subjects in the empire. Of course, the Christians are not wanting to worship the emperor as God because they know that he's not God. They know that the true God is revealed in Jesus Christ and is not an emperor, but is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit the three-in-one God uh, that we all know and who's revealed in Scripture. So they're getting themselves in some hot water. They're being challenged. And besides all of that, they have the types of challenges that you and I face in our everyday lives. They're, they're, they're dealing with family issues. They're dealing with the, 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 the ravages of illness that, that hit us all. They're dealing with their sins and their, and their guilt over that. So many things that were happening to them are happening to us today. And what's beautiful about this message is that it basically says this. In a time where life can sometimes feel out of control, we don't have to live in fear. We can live in faith. Because our God sits on the throne. And as you've probably heard, I love that, that passage that says our God is in heaven, all's right with the world. And that's really what this 
chapter 5 is telling us. Our God is in heaven. He's seated on his throne, and all's right with the world. So with that, and I'm, I'm just forewarning you, this is now in a, we're, we're now opening up, and, and uh, Jesus is showing John a vision. So it's very dreamlike. Uh, there are a lot of similarities between visions and dreams. And so as you'll notice, uh, in here we see a person who is called the lion, but when John turns around to look, he's revealed uh, to be a lamb. And those kinds of things can switch back and forth like that. And uh, there, there are many symbolic uh, pictures in here. So let's read through this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now I'm going to pause there before I read on. The one who is sitting on the throne is revealed in chapter 4 to be God the Father. So the picture is of God the Father sitting on his throne holding a scroll in his right hand, and we'll talk about what this scroll is in a moment. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I, and that's John the Apostle, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside Then one of the elders, and the elders have been introduced before, they represent Christians. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So they're worshiping. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands And 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, again, worshiping. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So I think there's no better time for us to hear a message like the one that Revelation 5 gives us than at a time like Christmas time. I don't know about in your life, but so often around Christmas time, things just seem to get out of control for me. Does that happen to you? I mean, first of all, there's just the time factor. There are so many 
things going on. There are the, the office parties and the, and the gifts to buy, and, the, and you're, you're, you're trying to do all your normal work while that's happening. And maybe you've got family coming in from town, in, into town, or maybe you're planning a trip out of town to go visit family, and you have to make all these arrangements. So there's all that going on, right? And then, of course, you, uh, you don't want to be the only house on the block that has not one light up for Christmas, right? So, so you're trying to get your Christmas decorations up and, you know, at least show something. So, and then you've probably all seen, you know, some of, those, some of those YouTube videos with the guys that just go over the top with their Christmas decorations, right? And it's got music and flashing lights. And you're thinking, how can I keep up with all of that? This is, those are out of control decorations, right? And then, of course, there's the, there's the shopping itself, right? And, and uh, all the stuff. And then, you know, here's, you know, Black Friday and, and you know, uh, Cyber Monday. And, you know, how am I going to get to all these things? And whew, you come to church on Sunday and you, it's hard to just settle in and worship because life feels out of control a little bit right now. And, it, and it's not just now, is it? I mean, so, so many times in our lives, lives, our lives can feel out of control. And that creates a lot of anxiety for us, a lot of fear. I, I, I don't know how you are, but when I sort of feel my life slipping out of control, my temptation is, look, where's the steering wheel of my life? Because I got to get into that seat and I got to grip that wheel tightly and I got to make this life turn exactly the way I want it. So the fear that I'm losing control makes my heart want all the more to regain control. And so now I'm just striving for control in my life. And it's hard to just let go and surrender and and say, God, I, I know you're on your throne and really things are all right with the world. I think that's probably a little bit of what the people in Asia Minor and those seven congregations were feeling too. They were being tracked down by the emperor's goons and secret police. Some of them were having their property confiscated from them. Others were being arrested. Others like John put on a, a prison island. And of course, as I said earlier, many of them were facing issues, everyday issues, like all of us. There, there were people there who were losing their jobs. There were people there who were experiencing family and relational difficulties. There were people there who were, who were going through illnesses. And I'm sure for many of them, it just felt sometimes like life is spinning out of control and we have to get a grip on that steering wheel and get a tight grip. And so Jesus gives John this vision. And you you recall last week how we talked about these seven introductory letters that Jesus gave to John to pass on to the congregations. And that in each of those letters, he was giving them some encouragement. Look, you're on the right track. And in in other parts of the letter, he was saying, look, you're off track. You got to get back on track. So he was giving them words of warning too. And now in this vision... This is, as I said earlier, kind of the first part of the book of Revelation where Jesus actually says, okay, now I'm going to show you some stuff, John. Stuff that's kind of unbelievable. And in Revelation 4, the chapter right before the one we just read together, John looks up and he sees a door standing open in heaven. And he's beckoned, come up here. 
And when he goes through that door, what he receives is a vision of the throne room of heaven. And seated on the throne in heaven with all these fantastic creatures, there are, there are four living creatures uh, with, with kind of weird-looking faces of a lion, an ox, a lamb, and so forth. And, and, and apparently those represent all of God's created beings, and then surrounding them, you have what the Bible re- references as the 24 elders, which would represent kind of the church because there were 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles. So the 24, so that represents all believers like us of all time. And they're, they're around this throne and they're, they're worshiping the father who is seated on the throne. And that's the picture I want you to have in mind as you hear Revelation chapter 5, you see, because now John is in this throne room and an issue arises, right? And what's the issue? Do you you recall from our reading in Revelation chapter 5, it says that in the right hand of him who sits on the throne was a scroll, and that scroll was sealed not as it traditionally would be sealed up. You, you have to picture a scroll. And remember that scrolls were, were read like this, not like this. They were read like this. So you unroll the two, the two handles of the scroll. But on the outside of that scroll, it was sealed seven times. And what that's a picture of is that no one can get inside this thing. In fact, that's exactly what Revelation 5 says. No one was found who could open all those seven seals, and it starts the apostle crying and weeping because no one can be found to open the scroll. And why is he crying? Here's why. We know from what precedes this in the first chapters of Revelation and also from what happens as the seals begin to be opened because someone is found eventually who can open the seals that the scroll represents the final chapter of human history. From John's perspective, the apostles' perspective, and the the church's perspective, it represents the future, the New Testament era that you and I are still in. And I want you to picture John as a pastor who has a big heart for his people, right? He, He just loves those people and those congregations, and surely he's thinking to himself... If some details of the future are contained in this scroll that could help me as a pastor help my people get through all this stuff that they're facing and and get just a little bit more control back in their lives, I would love to be able to tell them these things. But as Revelation 5 opens, the problem is there's no one found who can unseal the scroll and reveal what's going to happen in this final chapter of human history in the future. And so John's crying because he he wants in the worst way to be able to share that and comfort his members, the Christians, and give them some peace of mind to know what's going to happen. And then do you remember what happens next in this vision? Something amazing happens. Something really important happens. One of the 24 elders taps John and he says, stop crying. Because there is someone who can unseal these 
seven seals. Pick up your crosswalk notes or, or open up your Bibles again, and let's take a look at that. Verse 4, I wept and wept. This is John speaking. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Who's that? Now, again, this is a dreamlike vision. And you're seeing symbolic language here. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David who has triumphed? The one who, just like in our dreams, this can happen. The elder says he's a lion, but when John turns around to look at him, what does he see? Not a lion. What does he see in verse 6? It tells us, then I saw a lamb. Boy, that's two different things, isn't it? A lion and a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We'll talk about those seven horns and seven eyes in just a moment. But who is the one who is both a lion and a lamb who is able to take this New Testament era, the future, into his hands and unveil it for, for mankind? Who is it that holds the future in his hand? Well, one of the important messages for us to get today is he is the one that all Old Testament prophecy points to. And the reason I can say that is because of the terms that are used to describe him. I want you to underline these. I want you to underline lion of the tribe of Judah, underline root of David, and then underline lamb. See, what we know is that every prophecy that happened in the Old Testament pointed to one person, pointed to the Savior who would come to fulfill those prophecies, and in fulfilling the prophecies, earn forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation for you and for me. And even the other apostles say this. Look at what Matthew says. You see, I put an extra passage at the bottom of page one. And this is Matthew describing the birth of Jesus. And look what he says about the birth of Jesus. All this took place to do what? To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah the prophet had said those words. And what Matthew is saying, and in fact, multiple times throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew goes back and says, and this is an, another fulfillment. This prophet said this, and here's another one. This Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of all those promises God had made to send a Savior. Now, you and I know 
that God was not always super specific. Sometimes he was. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, you'll see some very specific, detailed prophecies about Jesus Christ. But at other times, he was, he was kind of general. Starting in the Garden of Eden, he just says, I'm going to send someone who will crush the head of Satan. That was the very first prophecy. I'll send a head crusher. We don't know any more detail than that. Later on, through Moses, he said to him, Moses told the people of Israel, there will be a prophet like me from among these people, the Israelites, who will come and God will want you to listen to him. Again, kind of general, God will send a prophet, a spokesman. But there are other times where these titles, and that's why I had you underline them, really had a lot to say. And where the prophets talked about the coming Messiah in more specific ways. One of those, for instances, would be when the patriarch Jacob was blessing all of his sons which were the fathers of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he, he gets to Judah, which you may or may not know is the ancestor of Jesus. It was in the tribe of Judah from which Jesus was born. And look at what Jacob is given from God to say to Judah. He says, you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches down and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? So he's describing his son Judah here. But then he says something really interesting. He says the scepter will not depart from Judah. The, the ruling scepter is what he's talking about. In other words, he's saying, Judah, from you a king will come. And that's, that promise is not going to be taken away. That scepter will not be removed, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes. Now, this is directly talking about Jesus. Until he comes to whom it belongs. Judah, you're going to be the keeper of the ruler's staff. Until one of your descendants comes, Jacob says to Judah, and he will be the one to whom that ruling scepter belongs, the true king. And he's called Judah, what? A lion, the king of the beasts. You are a royal tribe, and out of you will come a king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And notice what it says at the very end, the obedience of of the nations is his. Meaning, he will draw people to himself in faith and in and through faith will follow him and listen to his words. A direct prophecy of Jesus. And so when John calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah, when that is given to him in that vision, Everybody knows that that's a reference to this prophecy given long ago by Jacob to his son Judah, that out of the tribe of Judah would come 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the true king to whom the scepter belongs. And as you go through, you notice other references that are very similar. I'm not going to dwell on them as long as I did on that one. But notice he's called the root of David. And that comes from a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, where it says, in that day, the root of Jesse, Jesse was David's father. So this is basically saying the same thing. The root of Jesse or the root of David will stand as a banner for the people's. The, the, the person who created Jesse and David's family will come back, will be here, and he will be a banner. And all people, it says, will gather to him. And we're seeing that prophecy fulfilled every time someone becomes a believer in Christ. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. Do you notice how when John is given the vision, it says this? With your blood, you have purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, that's, that's John being given a reference by all these singers who are worshiping to say, this is fulfillment of the Isaiah passage that says people will rally to him from all over the world, from every nation, tribe, language, and people. What the Old Testament people knew is something that's really, really important. And that is that all these prophecies, sometimes difficult to understand, is the Messiah going to be a lion? Or is the Messiah going to be a lamb? What does all that mean? As we know now, it means that he was both a lion and a lamb. But as you get down to the time of Jesus, even men like John the Baptist understand these references. Look at what he calls Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's Jesus. And what does John call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right. I know that's a ton of detail. But... Here's what I'm trying to show you this morning, and that is that throughout the Old Testament, you have all this history passing, and you have all these various prophecies, some of them specific, some of them more general, and they're all pointing to this one person who's going to be a great king, but also a sacrificial lamb. And the only person that can be the fulfillment of that is the one who was true God and became true man, so that he could offer his holy, precious blood for us and win the forgiveness of sins for us. In other words, the only one who can fulfill that prophecy is Jesus Christ. And what we're learning from this is that all those Old Testament promises that God made, God sent someone to keep every last one of those promises. That's the key. I'm going to say it again. All those promises that God made in the Old Testament, he sent his own son to keep every last one of them. Do you know why that's so important? Because if you're these people in Asia Minor and you're undergoing persecution and you're undergoing trouble and your life feels out of control, you may be asking yourself, does God really intend to keep his promises to me? Does he really intend to protect me and be my refuge in times of trouble? And and what God is giving 
to John is a vision to pass on to them to say, look, did God not keep every last one of the promises he made about a savior? Even the ones that seemed sort of weird and contradictory, a lamb and a lion, he kept every one of them. And he will keep every one of his promises to you. Because all of this history points to Jesus. And I want you to notice what all these people in heaven do when it's brought up and when it's pointed out that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Do you see what they do? Verse 7, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Why did they fall down? Read on. Each one had a harp. They have a musical instrument. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Their symbolism of prayer. And then it says they sang a new song. What are they doing? Singing, praying, falling down, they're worshiping. When it's brought back to them that Jesus Christ fulfilled every promise and every prophecy, what is the response? There is no other response but worship. And in fact, it goes on from there. The camera angle comes back after we hear this new song that says, Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain with your blood. You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 11 goes, boom, the camera angle comes back. And then I looked, John says, and I heard more voices worshiping. Angels, thousands upon thousands of them. 10,000 times 10,000. Boy, that's a pretty far camera angle. Do you know how many 10,000 times 10,000 is? 100 million angels singing praises to God. And then, once again, zoom back even further, verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, worshiping. Take your crosswalk notes and look at the top of page two. Fulfillment of God's promises leads us to worship Jesus as Lord. Fulfillment of God's promises leads us to worship Jesus as Lord. So what are we learning here? When you're afraid, when the choices presented to any of us are, are you going to live in faith or are you going to live in fear as your life seems to be spinning out of control? As you seem to be losing control of your life, is your response going to be, I have faith only in me and I am gripping this steering wheel tighter? Or is your response going to be, God's in control? God's seated on the throne. In fact, his son, Jesus, the one who is the lion and the lamb, is there at the center of the throne. And I can relax. I don't have to become a control freak. I don't have to control every last event in my life because look, John got a picture of heaven and what's happening in heaven. 
Jesus is on the throne. And he has fulfilled every last promise that was ever made. And therefore, I can know that the promises God makes to me, Jesus will fulfill them too. And when my life around Christmas time or any time of the year begins to feel like it's spinning and, and out of control, I can just step back and go, no, man, I see the same vision the Apostle John sees. And I don't have to live my life in fear, no matter what's going on in my life. God is encouraging me to live my life in faith. And know that Jesus is at the center of the throne, ruling for my good. The lion who is the king and the lamb who was slain for me for the forgiveness of all my sins, who takes away all my guilt and shame. And everything in history, everything in the Old Testament part of this book points to him and reassures me he's on the throne and he will keep his promises to me. So here's what I want you to write. Jesus wants me to see that he is the fulfillment of prophecy. All history flows toward him. All these prophecies flow toward him. And look at what it says in Romans 8. This is the confidence that we are to get out of this in the midst of our out-of-control lives. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We have an inheritance in heaven, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. You know, Jesus' life sometimes seemed to be out of control to the human eye. Remember when Peter rebuked him and said, don't think about being crucified or leaving us. Many times in Old Testament history, God's children, the the children of Israel, their lives seemed out of control. But it never was out of control because God was always on the throne. And so he says, if we're children, live like children, be confident, know that you have an inheritance and the sufferings you have now, You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ in order that we may also share one day in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the confidence that we have knowing Christ is the king. So see all of these Old Testament prophecies and and what better time of year than Christmas to go. There he is, the babe born in a manger who fulfilled all that promise. All history pointed toward him. But of course, a person might say if that provokes a a response of worship to know that Jesus did that, what are we doing out there working jobs? I mean, if all those angels were singing, 100 million of them, that was good enough for them, why not us? If the living creatures and the elders were down on their face and and they were singing every day knowing that Jesus was on his throne and taking care of him, why not make every day Sunday, right? Well, there's an interesting interesting thing that's said in here that I want to point out to you. Because look at what it says in verse 10. After it says, Jesus, you were slain, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It says, and you have made them 
to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Will you circle that word serve? Because there are really two appropriate responses to knowing Jesus as the fulfillment of all prophecy. The first is to worship as we do on Sunday, as we will do on Friday night when we come back at four and six and eight, when we bring our friends and neighbors, we are going to bow down and worship in that service and say, how awesome is this that God fulfilled every prophecy of a Messiah, of a Savior in Jesus Christ. But the second appropriate response is to serve. And to fulfill the role that God has given each of us to be kings ourselves. To be priests ourselves. And I, I, I think you know those are terms that are used to describe Jesus, don't you? That Jesus is the king of kings and that he is the great high priest. So when John is given this vision and says, you are kings and you are priests, he's really saying... Each one of you, each one of us is a reflection of Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the ruler, and so are you. Jesus is the one who came to mediate between God and us. Yes, God was angry with us because of our sins. God had promised death, even eternal death, because of our sins. Paul writes in Romans that when sin entered the world, death entered the world with it. But Jesus came as the mediator to reconcile us to God through his death and sacrifice. He was the great high priest. And now he says, I want all of you to reflect me and be mediators too. Go out there and tell others about Jesus. Go out there and and be God's go-between, God's ambassadors. Sharing this message of forgiveness and peace and of the blood of Christ with others. And isn't it neat to know that you and I can serve in that way? Isn't it really awesome to think, I'm a king. I'm a priest. And in Christ, this is a role that God has given me. I can go out from his throne and I can serve God. And let's take a look at some passages that I put in your crosswalk notes. God promises us that when we do that, when we serve in that role, we listen to him and we observe what he wants, we have a future. So first, before we go to the passage, faith in God's promises leads us to boldly serve Jesus as our Savior. And we do that confidently. That's why I put the word boldly there. And why are we confident? Because of what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. That's talking about us, not that we're blameless and upright by ourselves, but that we're blameless and upright through Christ and his forgiveness and his righteousness. He says, look at Christians, basically. A future awaits those who seek peace. You have a future waiting for you, he says. But all sinners, and he really means unrepentant sinners here, will be destroyed. There will be no future for these, for the wicked. 
The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. We don't save ourselves. It comes as a gift from him. And he is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. In other words, when your life is spinning out of control, you have a place of refuge. The lion and the lamb who sits on the throne is your place of refuge. He is your peace and your confidence and your boldness. And he is the power for you to go out and serve as kings and priests in this world. Notice what it says in the book of Exodus chapter 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, you people of God, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And you are God's New Testament people of God. In effect, God's New Testament Israelites. And God is saying to me to speak to you, you are kings You are priests, and though the whole earth is God's, you are his specially chosen people to serve him and to glorify him through your lives. And you do that with the confidence that your future is already written. I want to go back to the vision. Revelation chapter 5. What does it mean that the lion who is the lamb, who represents Jesus, is able to take the scroll from the right hand of God the Father. Do you remember what the scroll represented? The future? The final chapter of this world's history? What What it's representing with that picture is to say that at the same time that all history pointed toward Jesus, all those prophecies flowed toward this one person and the event that took place on the cross. In like manner, out of that central event and out of that one person from the cross and three days later, the resurrection flows all the future. That Jesus is not only the fulfillment of all the past prophecy, he is the owner and the author of the future. So when you go out to serve as kings and priests, you go out in the boldness and the confidence that Jesus has your future. In fact, the future of the entire world in his hand. And he is in control. And therefore, you and I, we have nothing to be anxious or worried about. We, we have no need to grip the wheel tighter We have no necessity of being control freaks when our life seems to be spinning out of control because Jesus holds that scroll in his hand. He holds your future and my future in his hand for our good, and he will take care of you because he loves you. Take a look again at what that last passage says if you obey me fully and keep my covenant meaning understand my promises to you that's what keep my covenant mean just understand my promises to you 
then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Jesus wants me to see, here's the second point, that he is the author of the final chapter, all the future. The world's future, my future, your future flows from his hand. So this Christmas, as you feel your gut tightening up a little bit, as you feel that urge emotionally to grab tighter hold of the steering wheel of your life, this vision from Revelation chapter 5, I realize it's a little bit complicated and has a lot of detail to it, but basically it's saying just this to you. Our Savior Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb, is on his throne. And therefore, all really is right in our world. So relax. Leave the steering wheel into his hands. You are kings and you are priests. Go and serve him and do it boldly. Let's take a look at the next steps. Think about what you've heard today and how now you have a Savior who sits on the throne. Wouldn't you love for a friend or a neighbor who's tightening up at Christmas time and feeling like his life is spinning out of control to, to maybe hear that message? Well, you can do that this weekend on Friday. Invite a couple friends. Pray for them. Call them. Invite them to come. Our worship service times are 4, 6, and 8 p.m. on Friday, December 24th. Secondly, you've been hearing a lot about our Love One Another offering. This is still a great chance uh, to consider the Love One Another offering in your end of 2010 giving plan. And finally, meditate on and memorize Psalm 37, 7, and especially that second half of it. I love those words. A future awaits those who seek peace. And that is you. In Christ, you all have a future awaiting you. And it is a peaceful one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for showing us this vision in Revelation chapter 5 and and helping us be reminded that your son Jesus, who loves us so much, loved us enough to sacrifice his life for us as the perfect lamb, is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is in control of everything that's going on. Lord, help us to just put that truth constantly in the front of our foreheads. By your Spirit's power, help us to to remember at all times that you are in control, you are on your throne. And therefore, whatever events are happening in our life, and however much it might seem like our lives are spinning out of control, you are in control, and we can relax. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.